0: well there is great trouble in our world currently isn't there sadly we see another war raging on our continent taking many lives ruining a country there and, and, and these situations always cause us to pause And ask questions, don't they? Many questions are asked by believer and unbeliever alike. Why? How can these atrocities, how can these wars, how can these horrible things keep happening? We note that at the end of the First World War, they believed that that would be the war to end all wars. And then a few years later, another great world war, and there have been many wars since. No matter what civilization believes, that how far we have come, there are still wars and rumours of wars. Is there any hope? Is there any hope for humanity? Is there any hope for us here this evening? Before this past few weeks, our attention had been caught up with the pandemic, hadn't it? For almost two whole years, the headlines were all revolving around a small little virus that caused so much havoc and harm. There were many people falling ill, taking many lives, crippling economies across the globe. And we asked the question, why? Why is there such disasters? Why is there such pestilence? Why is there such things in this world? Well, today we come to one of the clearest parts of Scripture in answering those questions. And in order to do so, I would like to look at the grand picture, the big picture that we see in these two chapters. There is a great deal of teaching here that would, we would be uh, good to, to, to delve into tonight. Especially in the current world situation or in the society in our country today, we see great teaching on humanity, on manhood and womanhood, on marriage, on work, on so many different things. But I will seek not to be sidetracked too much into that tonight. We'll leave that for another time, but they are important nonetheless. But tonight we will look at this great big picture of what happened in our world, of how God created uh, and what happened and what hope there is for us. And so I have two main titles Tonight, The felicity of man, the fall of man, and the hope of man. So firstly, the felicity of man. And that is the absolute happiness of Adam and Eve, our first parents. And the first thing we, we note in looking at their blissful condition is that man was made a special being. He was made special. Genesis 2-7 we read, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. God especially forms Adam with his own hands out of the ground. With every other creature, God spoke and it was done. There seems to be a gap between God and his creation. His command is so powerful that it is done. But here we see an intimacy of the creator God coming to create man in his own image, intimately forming him from the dust. And breathing into him the breath of life. Breathing into him a living soul. That Adam, that man became a living being. You see man is set apart from the rest of creation. He is set above the rest of creation. Because he is created unique. Mankind, men and women are created unique in the world we are created with a an eternal everlasting soul a soul that will go on for eternity and a soul uh, 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 that has a capacity for a real relationship with God and we notice that here even in the garden of Eden don't we How God intimately related to his creatures, Adam and Eve, as he spoke with them, as he walked with them. A wonderful, special relationship. What a privileged position. Did you know that you have an everlasting soul? This is something that is often missed in our world today. We are... We we try to ignore that fact. Many people think we live today and die tomorrow, and that's it. Let's make the best of it. Let's do what we can to have as much pleasure and as much enjoyment as we can today because we will be gone tomorrow. Let's elongate our life as long as possible because after that, there is nothing. But that is far from the truth. Far from the truth of God's word. Remember God is our creator. He can tell us how we are made. And here we read that God gave Adam. Breathe into him a a life-giving breath. We must look beyond this world. Look beyond this life. Because there is an eternity to come. To spend eternity with God in heaven and then in the new creation. Or spend it in eternity of punishment for sin. So Adam was made a special being. Humanity was made. Our first parents were made a special being. Secondly, he was placed in a special place. We read, God, we read that God planted a garden eastward in Eden. God having made Adam in a special way, creating him for himself in his image to be um, his vice-regent in this world, as it were. Didn't leave Adam out in the wilderness, out in the uncultivated World. No, God planted a special garden to, and made a special place and took Adam and placed him in this special place. Some think from this passage that creation was still somewhat chaos and a bad, difficult place and then Adam was placed into Eden And I I don't think that that is what, what is being taught here. We read in Genesis 1 that God created all things very good. But I think the distinction here is between an uncultivated place and a beautiful cultivated garden. And we still see that today, don't we? There are beautiful forests, uncultivated, beautiful meadows that are uncultivated with wildflowers, and they are beautiful nonetheless, but it's not quite the same as a beautiful garden. When I was young, uh, I spent many an hour on a Saturday uh, with my mum and my sisters and my gran in a place called Hall Place. It's a, a, a big... Manor house with lovely grounds fairly near where I live and we'd spent we 'd spend many many Saturdays there. Why is that? well, because it 's an idyllic place there 's walled gardens, beautiful rose gardens we 'd play hide and seek in a topiary garden uh, there was uh, herb gardens uh, there was a, a, a beautiful stream with some Um, bridges over that we could see the fish. A wonderful place that we could spend our time. But this garden, this garden isn't just like any other garden that we know today. A garden that is designed by a garden designer and implemented and made by a, um, a, a, a landscape gardener. No, this garden... Came from the mind of God. Just think of that. Whenever we create anything or make anything. Whenever we uh, write anything or or do a piece of art. Or when a builder builds something. It's always based on something that we've seen. Some beauty that we've seen. We may adapt it. We may expand upon it. But it's something we know. Something that we've seen. And yet God had everything in his mind. Everything came from his mind creating the whole vast universe. The beauty, the order in the universe. And it was him. It was God, the creator God, that planted this garden for Adam. What, a, what an amazing place it must have been. But it wasn't just a special place because it was a beautiful place made by God. It was a special place because God was there. It was God's place in this world. It was God's place that he met with his people. As we have noted in uh, later on in Genesis, G- Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, we read that um, they heard... The sound of the Lord God walking in the garden this was the place that they met with God but we also know from the analogy of scripture that um, the garden imagery is taken throughout scripture for the place where God meets with his people we see the the garden imagery in the temple which was the place that God made as so that people could come to meet with him I don't think we can go as far as to say that Eden is a temple here, but it is God's place. And then later on, we, uh, we read of, of, of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth with the picture of, of, of the river and the picture of the trees. It is God's place, God's dwelling place. What a special place. But also, uh, adding to their bliss, adding to their felicity, is that God provided for them in an abundance. He didn't just make them special. He didn't just place them in a special place. He gave them so much. In verse 9, we read that God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. I don't know about you, but I can't grasp what that must have been like. Just imagine what that would have been like. The best of fruits. Every fruit that you could possibly imagine and more. Just think of all those fruits that have probably gone into extinction. Destroyed in the flood. Those fruits that have lost some of their flavour. Some of their nutrients. But they were all there in their perfect condition. None that have gone bad. When you bite into it, it's tasting sour or mushy. No, beautiful, good food. And God provided all for them. He, didn't, he could have just put one or two, couldn't he? Just something to sustain life. But no, he gave them everything richly to enjoy Beautiful foods to taste. But not only foods to taste, but also for their aesthetic needs. Notice that these uh, trees were pleasant to the sight and good for food. He didn't just place trees there that would give them food and nothing else, but they were there to give them pleasure. Beautiful trees. This too is seen in the stream of water flowing through that garden. Just have that picture of that beautiful, uh, crystal clear, fresh water for them to drink. What a wonderful place. But even more so, God provided for them relationally. In verse 18 we read something quite shocking, don't we? We read that something wasn't good. Throughout um, Genesis chapter 1, we read time and time again, and it was good, and it was good, and God saw that it was good. At the end, we read that God saw that it was very good. But here, there is something that isn't good. And it was that Adam shouldn't be alone. You see, God has made us in his image. And God is a relational being, the triune Godhead in perfect relation. And so, we Adam needed relationship; he needed companionship. And we read that Adam, uh, that God brought every animal before Adam, bird and beast of the field. And, and, and Adam may, uh, Adam named all these animals. You can just imagine him there, can't you? Examining them, trying to communicate with them, trying to understand what they were like, knowing to try and uh, name them a good name, fitting for them. And yet after that work that God gave him to do, exercising his authority in naming these animals, there was nothing No creature on the face of this planet that was on par with Adam. No creature on the face of this planet that could be a companion to him and to help him in his great commission that God had given to him to multiply and fill the earth. And so God made someone special. God gave Adam someone special. We read that God uh, put Adam to sleep, gave him a deep sleep and took out of him a rib and made Eve. And you can just see the the smile, the joy on Adam's face as he beheld his wife for the first time. And, And sings and praises God, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Oh, what wondrous thing it is to have companionship. But you might say, but I'm single. I've been single the whole of my life, or I am recently single. What about me? And yes, uh, the marriage uh, relationship is a a truly wonderful gift. And we, we praise God for that. And we read and learn so much from this passage on what it should be and how it should be. But we should also not neglect other companionship. We are, rela- we are made a relational being. We are not islands. We should cultivate relationships and that indeed should be the case within God's church. We should look out for one another, befriend one another. We need that. But here we see that God created a woman to assist Adam in his work. It wasn't another man. No, this was a woman. Someone with equal dignity. Equally made in the image of God. But with different roles. Different responsibilities. Responsibilities. They are there to work together. They complemented one another. They were able to procreate with one another. Women, do you know that you are God's gift to men? We could not function in the way God wanted us to without you. But we indeed are to work in complementary ways. As God intended. And it was only then that can we truly flourish. There was nothing wrong with the way that we were created. We were created man and woman. And it's to our peril, to our nation's peril, that we should go against that. Kick against it, fight against it. It's for our peril that we promote other things. And certainly in God's church, we must stand up for the truth of God's word clearly spoken to us here. And so God gave Adam Eve to be a companion. He provided for them everything they could have needed. What more could they want? A perfect surroundings, a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with one another, perfect food. What more could they want? I hope you have got the picture. There are many people that question, how could God create a world like this? How could a good God create create a world with such wickedness and horrendous things in? Well, here we read that God didn't create a world like this. God created a world perfect with every advantage for his creatures, human beings made in his image. You see, all death, all illness all horrors all wars come about because of the hearts of sinful mankind and that's what we learn here isn't it as we move from chapter 2 into chapter 3 there is a there's a massive difference there's a massive shift isn't there we think how how could this be possible Adam and Eve lacked nothing. Nothing that would have provoked rebellion against their God. They had everything going for them. They even had a covenant with their creator. The creator God condescending with his creature. Entering into covenant relationship. Giving them a promise. Giving them conditions. Conditions. You see, in, in Genesis two sixteen and 17, we read, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We read here a positive command, a command to say, Do not do this. We also have the promise of life in the tree of life. The promise of punishment should they disobey. He entered into this great covenant relationship with them and yet Adam fell. Adam, the federal head, the relationship that God placed him in to all his posterity is that of federal headship. And he acted on behalf of the whole of the human race. We see, um, we've heard a lot about this federal headship in these past few weeks, haven't we? We've read in, in the newspapers and we've heard on the news how President Putin has led his people into war. His actions have had consequences for the whole of his nation. He, as the federal head of that nation, has made decisions on behalf of that nation that has given consequences to all of his people. And that is the case for us with Adam. Adam failed miserably. Adam fell, didn't he? he? He rebelled against his creator God. He took of the fruit and ate that fruit that he was commanded not to eat. He failed to protect Eve. He failed to step in when he needed to, to intervene when, when Satan started to speak to Eve. Eve. He failed to correct her when she started questioning the goodness of God. The truthfulness of God. When she started thinking about disobeying God, he didn't interject, he didn't reprimand her, he didn't hold her to account. No, we see him there just standing idly by. Abdicating from his responsibilities. Being led... By Eve to take of the fruit. And as he took that fruit that he was so clearly commanded not to, he rebelled against God and drew all his create all his posterity, all of creation into sin. My friends, we must be careful about allowing the seeds of sin to grow. In our hearts and mind, we must be ruthless with it. It only took Eve to start contemplating that tree, seeing how delicious it looked and how good it looked, and started entertaining those thoughts and and reasoning of the devil that it was would be good to make you wise. It was as, it was as she was. Allowing those seeds of sin to grow in her heart, that it gripped her, gripped Adam, and they fell. Oh, how often we are caught in the trap of, of going along with temptation, of entertaining temptation, of dabbling with it, thinking we'll be okay. But no, we must be ruthless. God said, if you eat of it, you will die. And Adam and Eve, there and then, died. They died to God. Their relationship was severed with their creator. And and the process of death began. We recognize this In God's punishment upon them. God's curse upon them. And because of Adam's sin, as I've said, we have all sinned. We have sinned in Adam, but not only have we sinned in Adam, we're all born in sin. We're all corrupt at heart. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. And that is true of all of us. God's word says that there is none righteous, no not one. We have all sinned and we all deserve the punishment of death. Death of the body, yes, but also eternal death in hell because we have all rebelled against our creator. God punished a woman, didn't, didn't he? That she will have sorrow, pain in childbirth. Her desire would be for her husband to overturn the creation order, to fight against him. God punished the man by cursing the ground. Work will be hard. Providing for himself and his family's needs will be difficult. The earth has been cursed because of the sin of Adam. He and all his he represents will turn Returned to dust in death. And ultimately, God drove them out of the garden. Never to touch the tree of life. Never to have that intimate relationship with Him again. Driven away. What hope have we got then? If we are all sinners, and we know that if we examine our own hearts, that we are all sinners, what hope have we got? If God has barred them from his presence, from relationship with him, what hope have we got? What a tragedy. But you see, there is a hope. And God was even good enough to even give them the promise of that hope. In the curse of of the serpent, of Satan... We read that first promise of a seed that will come. We read, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and he shall bruise and you shall bruise his heel. There is one that is coming that will bruise or crush the head of the serpent. We know naturally there is enmity between the seed of Ad, uh, the seed of Eve and serpents, don't we? Uh, in um, Hyde Street Chapel in Winchester, where I, God willing, will be going to pastor, uh, one of the children of the members there has has got a snake, and when we were around there. He had got it out for my boys to see. And my little daughter, two years of age, went into the room and immediately cowered back. Why is that? Well, there is a natural enmity there. But this isn't only speaking of that enmity between us and a deadly animal in this world. No, it more importantly is that enmity between the seed of Eve, and, and Satan. And this seed isn't everyone in creation. Isn't all her posterity. But it is speaking of one seed. One seed that has been promised right from these foundations of this world. Right from the fall of man from his bliss into sin. The promise of a seed that would bring hope. That would bring hope that would deal the fatal blow against that great serpent, the devil, and will liberate and save his people. In the midst of judgment is a promise of victory and life. God could have justly destroyed Adam and Eve there and then. There would have been nothing unjust about that, nothing wrong about that. And yet he was patient with them. And Eve, uh, when she gave birth to to Cain, she proclaimed that I have acquired a man from the Lord and she praises God for this seed. And she's longing for this serpent crusher to come. And when, uh, when it all went wrong between Cain and Abel and they gave birth to Seth, She said, for God has appointed another seed. And throughout scripture we see this wonderful thread going through of the seed. The promised seed to come. We see the godly line of Seth. And then going through into Abraham. And the seed that was promised to him. That in his seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then that promise is developed even further to David. David. And we understand that not only is it going to be a seed of Abraham, but also the child, the seed of David. And before long, the seed came. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came as a man to crush the head of Satan. We read in Galatians, uh, the exposition of the promise to Abraham. He says, now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. Christ is this coming seed. Christ is that coming saviour. The one who would crush the head of the serpent. And this indeed he has done. This indeed he has accomplished when he was there on that cross cross, as he was in pain and anguish. When he was in pain and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood. There the Lord Jesus Christ was, was having his heel crushed bruising his own life but crushing Satan, dealing that death blow that would crush Satan's head. My friends, in him there is life. In him there is hope. And there is no other. And to his seed, not many seeds, one seed. God here in this, in this first promise of the Messiah, the first promise of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is just but one seed that would come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't put your hope in rulers in this world. They will fail you. Do not put your trust in the medical and science leaders in this world because medical, uh, medicine and science will fail you. There is only one way to life. There's only one way to eternal life. Real, true life. Lasting relationship with God. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week or or this week, on Friday, we will celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ being high and lifted up on that cross. Suffering, dying for his people. And it was there, as he suffered and bled, to take away the sin of the world, that he crushed Satan's head. Are you going to turn to him tonight? Do you believe in him? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Saviour? Well, let me urge you tonight, while it is still the day of salvation, whilst you are still alive, to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is a wonderful promise of scripture. So, we've seen the answer to those questions, haven't we? God created Uh, Mankind in absolute bliss created an amazing creation. But it is due to man's sin, our sin, that this world is in ruins tonight. But there is a hope. There is a hope. The Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, we must cling to him. We must look to him. We must believe in him. And we must proclaim him. Because he is the only hope of life in this dark world. Let's praise him for all that he. Is.